amen to that song. That is so much truth in that. Thank you, Ashley, for introducing that one to us. I'm excited about singing that together as a congregation soon. The glorious truth that it's not us clinging to God in our feeble strength, but Him and His sovereign hand holding to us. I hope you'll treasure that truth that she's just sung to us. That is the gospel message of what Christ has done for us. Friends, last week we talked about what happens when we discover or rediscover the wonder of something. If you remember from last Sunday, I said if you discover the wonder of something, several things happen. One, you find yourself thinking about it. When you've experienced something amazing, you find yourself thinking about it, not just that moment, but in the days to come. You find yourself wanting to experience it again, but you also find yourself talking about it. Because, friends, if you, if you find something that absolutely amazes you, you just can't stay quiet. I mean, think about what happened in the news in recent weeks when those, that boys' soccer team in Thailand got trapped in the cave. When they got rescued to listen to people talk, I mean, they couldn't stop talking about it for days. They were amazed at sacrifice, amazed at the way it got done, and they couldn't contain themselves. The people just kept talking about it on the media and in the news and conversations in coffee shops. Friends, when you've been on an amazing trip, what do you do? You want to talk about it. So you come back and you tell your friends about it. You post pictures to social media of how amazing it was because when you experience something wonderful, you want to talk about it. So friends, if we discover the wonders of God's grace, if we discover the truth that Ashley just sang about, that he is holding me fast, if we discover the wonders that he's holding us together as the church, that together we're citizens together, that together we're a family together, that together we're blocks that are building the temple that God's presence dwells, friends, it only follows that we would talk about that. So I want to ask you the question, do we talk about the wonders of Jesus and the church? When we're in conversation with other people, particularly non-believers, do we talk about Jesus and do we talk about the wonders of his church? Friends, over the years I've seen, when we start talking about sharing Jesus with other people, start talking about the topic of evangelism, how do you share the message of Jesus with others, Christians start getting really nervous really quickly. They start feeling really uptight about the topic. Oh, oh my goodness, I'm going to feel so guilty about doing this. But friends, I want to go deeper into that and go into the question of why should we want to talk about Jesus with others. So find in your copy of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 3, because this is exactly where Paul goes next. And we're working verse by verse through Ephesians. We come to chapter 3 this morning. Just to remind you where we are, if you're visiting Gateway this morning, we're glad you're here, just so you know where we're at as we're working through Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, we saw the wonders, the amazement of what God has done for us. He has chosen us. He has adopted us as His own. He has predestined us. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us an inheritance, and we have seen his power at work towards us who believe. Chapter 2 builds on that by reminding us that that's not how we always were. That's not the default state of people. That our default state is we are bound, we are lost in our sins, and we are bound to follow the enemy. We are bound to follow our fleshly desires. We are bound to follow what the world tells us to do. But in the middle of chapter 2, we saw that amazing word, but God, being rich in mercy. And we saw how God changes things for us. And we saw his grace, his gift to us. But not just a gift to us individually, but us together as a church. We saw the wonders of what he's done collectively to bring diversity together in the church to become one body. And all that we've seen in these first two chapters of Ephesians is glorious. It is wonderful. It should strike awe and amazement into our hearts. And Paul sees that. Paul feels that. And he's about to pray for the people in Ephesus. But before he does, he interjects here this description, if you will, of why he feels compelled to talk about it. It's almost like a parenthesis in the middle of Ephesians. He goes from talking about these glories of the church and the glories of Christ and what he's done for us to praying for them. In the middle, he says, hey, I'm going to pause and tell you why I'm talking about this in the first place. With that said, I want to just remind you what we're looking at this morning. There's two big categories in Scripture. 
There's descriptive scriptures that tell us just what happened. And there's prescriptions, prescriptive scriptures. Think of prescription that's been given to you. Prescriptive tells you a command to obey. What we come to today is a descriptive passage. There's only one command, and that's for the people in Ephesus in the very last verse not to grow disheartened. The rest of it is not commands for us. It's a description of Paul's heart, his motivations for why he shares Jesus with others. So realize you're not going to see commands there, but friends, all of Scripture is full of commands to make Christ known. All throughout Scripture, there's so many Scriptures that tell us that we're supposed to be talking about Jesus with others. We're to take this message to other people. So don't read this this morning going, okay, that's great, that was for Paul. I'm off the hook. I'm done. We need to look at the totality of Scripture and our command to be his ambassadors, to make the message of Jesus known to others, and look to Paul's description here of his motivation to find encouragement in our own hearts to press on what God has also called us to do, like Paul. So we come to Ephesians chapter 3 today. As I read our text today, it'll be, chapter, it'll be verses 1 to 13. I want you to look for two things. First of all, what is Paul's motivation for talking to others about Jesus? So as we're looking at the text, what is his motivation? Why does he feel a compulsion to talk about Jesus with other people? But second of all, what message is he offering to them? So what's his motivation and what's his message? So that brings us to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, and the words will also be on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this insight that you've given us into why Paul felt this compulsion to talk about you with other people. And God, in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, I pray that today you might stir our heart through the work of your Holy Spirit to understand in greater ways what you've entrusted to us to be doing for your glory. I pray you'd stretch us in this and you would challenge us in this, but Lord, you would encourage us in the task that you've set before us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So one main thing I want you to see from this text this morning is simply this. God has given us a stewardship to make known the wonders of who he is. Paul, in this kind of autobiographical section here, is telling us that he's been given a stewardship, and it's been given to us as well, friends. God has given to us a stewardship to make known the wonders of who he is. Notice the motivation. It's a stewardship. It's a relationship with God that we've been, he's entrusted something to us that we want to please him in doing. And notice the message. It's the wonders of who he is. It's this glorious grace that we've been singing about and talking about all morning. God has given us a stewardship to make known the wonders of of who he is. Well, let's think about that for just a minute. What is a stewardship? Well, let's take a step back. What is a steward? 
A steward is a person who takes care of someone else's property or someone else's business. It was really common at the time that Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus to have stewards who managed a household for someone else or a steward who managed a business for someone else. Think in terms of maybe like a general manager of a business today. That general manager doesn't own the business. They are entrusted by the owner to carry out the mission of the owner. That's kind of what a steward is. It's a mission for an owner to do something else. That means the steward doesn't invent new plans. They don't do whatever they want to. They have a clear plan from the owner of what they're supposed to do. And Paul has absolutely no question here who he's serving, who the owner is. He recognizes he's doing things for the Lord and for the Lord only. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. Look at his sense of stewardship here. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Notice his phrases here. It's been given to me. It has been made known to me. Something has been given by God to Paul, and he recognizes that. And how did he receive it? Verse 3, by revelation. Paul did not take the initiative to have this task. Rather, he understands that God is the one who has given this to him, the calling and the message. You see this idea repeated in verse 7. It says in verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Notice how passive Paul is in this. He says, I was made a minister. This is not something he was seeking. In fact, he was seeking the opposite. He was on his way to kill Christians. He was on his way to stop this message. And God intervened and gave Paul a calling to salvation and a calling to take this message to other people. And he describes what he's called to do in verse 7 as he was made a minister. Now, it's probably not the best translation of this word here because the Greek word here, he said, I was made a diakonos. Does that word sound familiar at all to you? It's the same word we get the word deacon from. What does deacon mean? If you think back to when we talked about that last fall, the word deacon means a servant, someone who serves other people. So he literally is saying here, of this gospel, I was made a servant. I was made a deacon according to the gift of God's grace. Paul is clear. As followers of God, we are stewards of what God has given to us. We are servants of God on his mission, stewarding what he has entrusted to us. Friends, God has given to Paul and to us a stewardship But it's a stewardship for not primarily about us. It is a stewardship for other people. It's for the good of others. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. So for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, not for me, but for who? For who? For you. Given to me for you. The stewardship wasn't about Paul and getting things he wanted for his own self. It was given to him for others. It was given to him to pass along to other people, particularly for the Gentiles knowing who Christ is. See that in verses 8 and 9 as well. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Notice in these verses here, God gave Paul the stewardship not so Paul could get from birth to death in the safest, easiest, happiest, most comfortable way possible. Paul, God gave to Paul a stewardship for the sake of preaching to the Gentiles, sharing the message of Christ to people who were lost in their sins. He gave them the stewardship for bringing light to people who were lost in spiritual darkness. And friends, likewise, as followers of Christ, God pours out his grace on you and for me. He gives a stewardship to us, not so we can get from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, most comfortable way possible but so that we too can make known this message to other people, so we can bring light to people who are in darkness. 
unless we miss that the stewardship is not about us, but it's about other people. Look at verse 13. Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's saying, I'm enduring all this because it's the stewardship God's given to me, and I'm doing it for you, for your benefit, for you to know the Lord. But before we move on, there's another group that is the recipient of Paul's stewardship. And this is absolutely fascinating. We need like a whole sermon on this. But look back at verse 10. There's another group besides the Gentiles and non-believers who receive the benefit of his stewardship, and it's not even people. Look at verse 10. It says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Friends, rulers and authorities was a very common, almost idiomatic expression at the time that referred to angels and demons. Paul's talking about the spirit world here, the unseen spirits of angels and demons that are all around us that we don't normally see. And he's saying, my stewardship, in verse 10, is so that the manifold wisdom of God is not only known to the Gentiles, but is known to the angels, to the spirit world as well. Friends, this is stunning that as we're faithful to our stewardship of the message God has given to us, not only do non-believers hear and have the benefit of light coming into the darkness, but the angels look on with amazement. They see this because they're seeing the unfolding of God's plan. They're seeing God's redemptive work growing and the church growing, and they are marveling at this, and they are worshiping God in response. One of my favorite authors who writes about the book of Ephesians is a guy named Brian Chapel, And he said this. He said, The church is intended not only to transform the world, but also to transfix heaven. The church is not only designed to transform the world, which happens as the good news of Jesus goes forth and people believe and their lives are changed. We see the world being transformed as the good news goes forth, but also to not just transform the world, but to transfix heaven. Because the angels look with amazement as we take the gospel to other people, as sinners come to faith in Christ, as God sanctifies and grows people, as a church of different backgrounds comes together and becomes a dwelling place for God. The angels marvel at this, and they praise God in response to that. Friends, God gives to Paul and to us a stewardship that impacts both earth and impacts heaven as well. But friends, this stewardship that's for the good of others and even the good of angels, the stewardship that's been given to us, is to make something known. It's a very specific stewardship. It's not like, okay, I'm going to come up with my own plan and go get them for Jesus in this life. He's given us a very specific stewardship, and that is to make something known. Now, friends, this is really important because there's so many today who claim to be ministers of God, and so many people who claim to speak what God wants us to speak. And the message they bring to people today is so far from the message that's been entrusted to them. It doesn't take long to pick up books in bookstores and Christian bookstores or to pick up, turn on the TV. And to hear people saying, God's primary concern is your happiness, or God's primary concern is your prosperity, or God's primary concern is your health, or God telling you how absolutely amazing you are and how he just can't imagine you not being around in his kingdom, or hey, you, can go to, you can live like you want, but just pray this prayer and you, you'll, you won't go to hell. I mean, that's, that's not the message that's been entrusted to us. When you hear that, that's not a faithful stewardship because that's not the message of God. God gives a very specific message to his stewards. And what is that message? We'll look back in verses 3 and 4. How Paul describes it. This is how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He describes his stewardship of a particular message as the stewardship of a message of mystery. What does that mean? When you think of mystery, we think of TV shows or novels or something that's spooky. That's not what the word mystery means in the Bible. The word mystery means something that, ha- that you will not find in your natural knowledge. Mystery means something that has to be revealed to you because you're not going to discover it 
on your own. What is the message that God has entrusted to us? He's entrusted to us a message that is a mystery that people are not going to find unless we tell it to them. You're not going to discover the mystery of who God is and how sinful man can be reconciled to God unless it's revealed and God reveals it through his word going forth. In fact, in verse 6, he describes this mystery in a different way. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here, mystery and gospel are synonymous. They are the same concept here. The mystery, the gospel, the message we've been entrusted is not, you're amazing and God wants you. It's not, just pray this prayer, you won't go to hell. It's not, God wants you to be wealthy. That's not the message we've been entrusted. The message that we have been given a stewardship over is a mystery message that mankind can never figure out on their own. It's called the gospel, the good news. It's the message that God has made a way for sinful people who deserve his wrath, his punishment, because he's holy, to be made restored to a right relationship with him. And like verse 6 says, it doesn't matter your background. If you're Gentile or Jew, it doesn't matter what your background is. You now can be part of the same body, partakers of this promise, of this gospel that he has given to us. Friends, that means, and this is so important in our culture, this message is not primarily about us. It's a message primarily about him. Because today, so many people who claim to be stewards of God's message make it all about us and what God wants to do for us and how amazing we are. And that's not the message, the stewardship we've been given. Look at verse 8. The message is all about him. Paul says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles how amazing they are. To preach to the Gentiles how much God can't fathom heaven without their presence. No, what is it? What does verse 8 tell us? It's to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The message is not a message of us. It doesn't start there. The message is a message of Christ, his unsearchable riches, how amazing he is, his character, his attributes, how the grace he's given in saving us, the grace he's given us in growing us in godliness, the grace he's given us to make us into a right relationship with him and with one another, not just for now, but for eternity. It's unsearchable how amazing he is. That is the message we've been entrusted. Paul also describes in verse 10 in this way. He says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Manifold means multifaceted, multicolored. Paul's struggling to find a word to describe the wisdom of God, this message that we've been entrusted with. So he says it's multicolored, it's multifaceted, beyond what we can search or imagine. When God has given us a stewardship of a message, not of how great we are, but rather how great He is. His unsearchable riches, his multifaceted wisdom. That's the message we're to take to other people. Not you're amazing, but rather God is amazing and look to him. God gave us a stewardship of a message of his greatness, of his glory, of his wisdom, and of his riches. But then can I state the obvious? If we've been given a stewardship of a message of how great God is, kind of the obvious that follows, that means we have to open our mouth, doesn't it? We can't really steward a message by keeping our mouth shut. Perhaps you've heard the quote that gets used a good bit that says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, it's real quotable and real noteworthy sounding, but friends, it's just simply not true. To preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Friends, yes, we have to live a transformed life. I get that. If our message is, it hasn't changed us, then there's no point in sharing it with others. We need to have love for one another. That's what we saw in John that God's going to use to draw the lost to himself. But friends, to say that you only need to use words if absolutely necessary misses the whole point of the stewardship we've been given. Yes, we live a transformed life. Yes, we love one another. But yes, we open our mouths to declare a particular message. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17 on the screen for us. So faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes by watching how amazingly you love one another. Well, no, that's part of it. God uses loving one another, but faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. There is a message that we have to open our mouths to 
proclaim to share with others. Yes, watching our lives can give open doors to talk. Yes, people can see the love the church has, and that makes a difference. But friends, we, they have to hear this message. And again, not the message of how great they are, but the message of how great God is. People won't understand apart from that. Go back to Ephesians 3, 8 and 9. Paul says, To me, though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, and notice what he's preaching, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, And to bring to life for everyone, what's the message he's bringing to everyone? What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Friends, people will not understand the riches of Christ. People will not understand the wisdom of God. People will not understand how they can be reconciled to a right relationship with Him unless we tell them. Unless we open our mouths to the stewardship that He's given to Paul and to us to make His greatness known. In fact, all throughout Scripture, I referenced it earlier, there are commands, prescriptive texts that tell us what we're to do. I want you to see three on the screen briefly. And just notice how this requires us talking to other people. Matthew chapter 28 is the first one. This is the text of the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And, and then the very next verse, and what's the next word? Teaching them. Okay, that requires opening our mouths again. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. One of my favorite texts on our calling is, a, is to be sharing the message of Jesus with others. He said, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us. Here's that stewardship concept again. God has entrusted to us something. When he saves us, he entrusts a task to us as well. Entrusting to us the message. Here it is. There's a particular message he has entrusted to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Same idea as stewardship. We are stewards or ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Now, an appeal, you open your mouth. You put it in writing, you open your mouth. Appeals don't just happen by observing. I think that person really wants me to do this. No, an appeal is, I'm telling you something. God, God is the one making the appeal through us as we open our mouths and share with others. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let me just stop there. Doesn't it sound like all of Ephesians 1 and 2 so far? There's a lot of what we've seen of citizenship, of family, of being the temple, and we're the priest now for the Lord. You see all the same images because Scripture is one story for us, like we saw in the video for the kids earlier. He's done all this. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The word proclaim there literally means to shout out to advertise. that Part of our stewardship is to proclaim, to shout out, to make his appeal through us, to teach. Friends, God has given us a stewardship to make known with our words to other people how great he is. Friends, how do we steward that task? Well, that's an awesome responsibility that God has entrusted to us, his people, to make known his riches, his greatness to a world that does not know and does not believe. How do we do that well? Well, as we look at Paul's example here, this description of why he's writing to the people in Ephesus, I see five things that are helpful in my own thinking of, from Paul's life of, why, of how we do this. How do we stay faithful to the stewardship, this task God has given to us? So looking at Paul's life, I want to give you five brief principles I think will help us be able to steward well this task of making known the wonders of who God is. Number one, if we want to steward this well, we need to be amazed at God's grace ourselves. We've got to start with being amazed at God's grace ourselves. Friends, we're not going to naturally talk about something that doesn't captivate our attention. The things we talk about the most are the things that we're most captivated by. Sports, entertainment, 
hiking, creation, roller coasters, you name it, whatever it is that captivates our attention, we find ourselves thinking about, is what we're going to most naturally want to talk about. If we're not amazed at God's grace ourselves, we're not going to talk about it with other people. Look back at verse 8. And again, this is so insightful into Paul's heart here. He says, To me, though I'm the least, the very least of all the saints, grace was given. Do you realize that Paul here towards the end of his life is is still mesmerized by God's grace? This guy who has planted so many churches and seen so many people come to faith in Christ and is being used by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture says of himself here in verse 8, though I am the very least of all the saints. This is not just some mere pretense of words for Paul. He is amazed by God's grace that God would redeem someone like himself and, and be working through him. Paul cannot get over God's grace in his life. And friends, I cannot help but wonder if so often why when we talk about evangelism and sharing Christ with others, why we get so timid and so uncomfortable is because we have, we, we've gotten over God's grace. Something in the past that happened. Oh yeah, I prayed the prayer. I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to go to heaven. And we've lost the wonder of the grace of God that rescues sinners like us and that sanctifies us and grows us. Friends, we have to rediscover the wonders of God's grace if we're ever going to talk about it in effective ways with others. So first of all, we look to Paul's life for some principles to help us steward this message well. First, be amazed at God's grace. Number two, realize we are God's plan for the message going forth. Realize we are God's plan. We're not just like a little part of it. We are God's plan. The church is God's plan for this message going forth of his wonders. Look at verses 10 and 11. So that through the church, that's us together, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, God could do the message any way he wants to. He could write it in the clouds if he wants to. He's sovereign. God can do what God wants to do. But God's eternal plan here, verse 11, before time began, how he had determined things would take place, is he would use his church, his body of believers together, to take the message to the world. He decided not just to write in the clouds, but to rather to give it to his people together and send them out together to get the message to those who had not heard. For instance, the stewardship he's entrusted to us. There is no other plan in God's sovereign will for the gospel to go forth apart from his people taking it. There is no plan B. This is the only plan God has ordained, and that's for us to be part of it. We realize we are part of his plan. So, friends, we need to be amazed at God's grace. We need to realize we are his plan for it to go forth. But third, realize he's going to give us everything we need. He's going to give us everything we need if we're going to take this message to other people. Again, look at verse 8 again. Paul says, To me, than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Friends, God is not asking us to take this message forward in our own strength. He's going to give us the grace to do it. This is what's so fascinating the way Paul writes this. Back in verse 2, he says we're stewards of God's grace. Did you notice that? Now he says grace is given to steward it well. We're stewards of the grace, and that same grace is what gives us the strength to steward it well. And I just love the way he phrases that together. Steward, we've been stewarded with his grace, and now he gives us his grace to steward it well. And that stewardship includes, friends, the boldness that we need to do it. Look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Yes, it's boldness to approach the throne of God. Yes, it's access to him, but it's also the boldness we need to talk to others. When we get to it down the road in Ephesians 6, one of the things that Paul asked people to pray for him is that he would have boldness to declare this mystery of this. Friends, God gives us the boldness we need. If you think, you know, I really can't talk to others about Jesus. I'm too timid. I'm too shy. I don't know what to say. I don't feel like I've studied the Bible enough. Great. No worries. God's not looking to any of that for you to be able to be his messenger. He's saying, I will give you the grace to share this with others. You depend on my grace and I will give you everything you need, including the boldness you need to talk to others about him. 
So be amazed at God's grace. Realize you're, you're a part of his plan. Know he's going to give you everything you need. And number four, friends, trust in the sovereignty of God for where he has you. Trust in the sovereignty of God for where he has you. We use the word sovereignty a lot. What do we mean by that? Sovereignty is, is his rule, his governance, his oversight of all things, his right to rule over all things. Friends, that means nothing happens outside of the control of God. God is not up in heaven. He's never going to be like, oops, sorry, didn't see that one coming, my bad. You're never going to hear that from heaven because God doesn't have oopses and sorries and oh my, I wish that hadn't happened. That's not how God works. God is fully in control of the whole universe. Every atom is moving according to his plan. All of history is progressing to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And the details of your life and my life are where they are because of his sovereign plan to make himself known to us and to others. Notice what Paul says in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, Gentiles. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome. I, Paul, a prisoner because of the Jews. I'm Paul, a prisoner of Christ. He sees Christ at the head of why he's there for this reason. He sees a sovereign hand of God putting him where he is. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. That He cannot leave the house. There's a soldier watching his every move, every moment of the day. Paul has every excuse to complain, every excuse to not take the gospel to anyone else because, well, I'm stuck at home. There's a soldier watching me. I can't believe God would let this happen to me. Where is all the prosperity I'm supposed to have? Why am I stuck in house arrest? But he doesn't do that. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. And then he comes and wraps up in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. He understands that God has given him this stewardship, this season of being a prisoner under house arrest for the good of others so the glory of God might be known to the Gentiles and to others. Friends, wherever you find yourself today, God has you here for a reason. You are here for such a time as this. This is not some evolutionary accident. This is by the sovereign hand of God that you are in the neighborhood you're in, that you're in Montgomery, Alabama at this time. And even as we're praying for boys and girls as they start back to school and for the teenagers as well, you guys are in the school you're at and the grade you're at for a reason, not because of an accident, but because of the sovereign hand of God. And he has you there to make him known wherever you are. So boys and girls and teenagers, I pray this school year, you will realize that you are an ambassador for Christ. Whatever school, even if it's not the school you want to be in, in whatever grade you're in, for a reason to make Christ known to the people around you. So how do we steward well the message he's given to us of his riches and how his wisdom? One, be amazed at his grace. Two, realize where his plan. Three, know he'll give us everything we need. Four, trust his sovereign plan that you're where you are. But number five, sounds really simple, be intentional. In other words, Nike, just do it. We have to be intentional in this. Verses three and four, back in chapter three here. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Verse 4, when you read this, Paul was intentional. He put this into writing. He intentionally wrote a letter to the people at Ephesus around AD 60 for a reason, to remind them of who they are in Christ, to put the gospel before them, to challenge them, to take the message to others. And we'll see in chapters 4, 5, and 6 to live out a Christ-focused life and a transformed life in a very dark city. Paul intentionally wrote them a letter. And friends, by God's grace, you and I can be intentional as well to talk about his greatness, to talk about the wonders of his church, to plead with others to consider the claims of Christ and to believe in him. And if we will seek to do so, God will give us the grace to do so. Friends, God has given us a stewardship to make known the wonders of who he is. So I just want to ask you three questions as we close. First of all, have you experienced God's grace yourself? If you've never been a recipient of the grace of God that has transformed you, that's put desires in your heart for him, affections in your heart you never had before for him, then it's got to start there, friends. Until we're captivated by who we are in Christ, 
None of this is going to make any sense to us. So friends, have you experienced the wonder of God's grace? But second of all, friends, are you still today marveling over his grace? I think it's where the breakdown happens for so many of us. We can point back to, I know I trusted Christ. I know he made it. I've seen him convict me of sin. I've seen him change me. But then something's happened to where the wonder is gone. The awe is gone. The amazement is gone. And the passion to just bask in his presence and to, and to savor the fact that he looked upon sinners like us and redeemed us has just dried up, friends. Do we still marvel and wonder at the riches of his grace in our life? And if not, friends, that's where you and I need to start. It's like, Lord, would you stir in my heart new affections for you? Would you stir in my heart new amazement that you redeemed me? Would you stir in my heart just the wonder of your grace that is so glorious? And friends, as he does that, then the next question becomes, are we finding that we want to tell others about it? Because if we have discovered something as marvelous and amazing and awestruck as the creator of the universe took us his enemies and like we sang two weeks ago has seated us at his table how can we not offer to other people who are his enemies the offer as well to come sit at the table of your creator that's god's plan for you that's god's plan for me just like it was for paul as well and he will give us the grace to do so friends god has given us a stewardship to make known the wonders of who he is would you pray with me father we are thankful for the gospel message or to realize that you looked upon us, and when we can never save ourselves, you reached down and rescued us. Lord, I pray in my heart and the heart of the brothers and sisters of Gateway, Lord, would you restore to us a sense of wonder and amazement in that message? That it's not just something we see, oh yeah, I did that when I was younger. But Lord, we would really marvel at the fact we get to know you, or that we can abide in you and you abide in us, that we can have intimacy with you, our creator. Lord, would you restore to my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters, restore to this church a sense of absolute awestruck wonder at your glorious grace and lord out of that i pray we would all find such an overflow that we cannot help but talk about it with our neighbors with family members with friends with classmates with teachers with people we run into in the line at walmart wherever we are god i pray we would be so amazed at your grace not just when we're singing on sunday mornings but lord as we're driving as we're at home as we're laying down at night lord that you would just fill our hearts through the work of your holy spirit amazement at your grace that is so real so present that we find ourselves thinking about it wanting more of it and unable to not talk about it with others Lord, i can't help but wonder what will happen in, in my life and the life of these brothers and sisters so we rediscover more of your grace what will happen is that begins to overflow and we faithfully steward that message to others. Lord, even this week, would you help us be faithful stewards? Even this week, God, would you give us open doors to talk about this glorious grace with others that we meet? And we'll give you the praise for those opportunities you give it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?